appreciate you. Is there any room for me up on this stage? This is so offensive. Make some space for me, people. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you very much to our band, and thank you all for being here today. Excited to be with you on this Sunday morning. Uh, we are in part two of our Unoffendable series, and this whole series is based on a book by Brent Hansen. I always want to call him Brett Henson. That's not his name. It's Brent Hansen, called Unoffendable, and some of you have read that book. Some of you are reading it right now, and uh, the whole point of this message series is to make us unoffendable. That's our goal. We want to become unoffendable. That's what we're working towards here in, in this message series. So many of us, it seems, so many of us have become easily offended or easily offendable. And for those of us who are Christians, uh, this is a major liability. In fact, for anybody, being easily offendable is a major liability. But for us who are Christians, our getting offended, our being easily offended, it gets in our way. It makes us less effective in being able to love one another. It makes us less effective or perhaps even ineffective in sharing the gospel. It's really difficult, if not impossible, to be offended by someone and trying to love on them at the same time. To be offended by someone and share the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ with them at the same time. And so we're working on this goal, the goal towards becoming unoffendable. Last week we talked about this myth of righteous anger, this idea that exists in Christianity and outside of Christianity. There's this idea that there are certain things that we are supposed to be angered by, certain things that we're supposed to feel offended by, certain behaviors, certain attitudes, certain actions that, that demand our anger. There is this myth of righteous anger. And for those of us who are Christians, when we see people who are defying God's word, aren't we supposed to be angry about that? Or when we see injustice taking place, aren't we supposed to be angry about that? Isn't there righteous anger? But when we actually look to the scriptures, you see that, yes, there is such a thing as righteous anger, and it belongs to God, not to you, not to us. There's this verse we took a look at last week from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. And some people take that first sentence there, that first section of the verse, and they say, well, there you go. There you have it. You're allowed to be angry as long as it doesn't lead you to sin. But what about the rest of the verse? It says, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And so what Paul is really telling us in that verse is that, yes, you will experience anger, but when that, you experience that anger, don't let it cause you to sin. And when you experience that anger, you need to get rid of it. Because Scripture tells us that nothing good comes from anger. A person's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Now, last week, when I said that we have become easily offendable, I got a response from a lot of you. I got the instant head nod, which is a lot of fun, right? I'm up here talking. Sometimes I say things that are tougher that you don't agree with, and I just kind of get one of these faces like, ugh. But when I get the head nod, I like the head nod, right? Yes, yes, people have become easily offendable. And I think I got a lot of head, heads nodding on that Sunday, last Sunday, because we have all seen people behave in a certain way. We've all seen people act too sensitive or become you know, easily offended or illogically, like, what's going on? You're just being illogical. You're getting all angry over this. Why are you taking this personal? Like, you've seen other people do this. And that's the thing about being offended. It's very easy to identify when somebody else is acting easily offended. You can see it easily in somebody else, but it's more difficult to identify in ourselves. It's easy for us to see when other people 
are becoming illogical and unreasonably angered, but it's more difficult to identify in ourselves. It's easy to see when other people are taking things personally. Why are you taking that personally? It has nothing to do with you. Why are you acting that way? But it's more difficult to see and identify in ourselves. So here's what I want to see happen in this series, okay? I want you to take this personally, okay? This is for you. This is about you becoming unoffendable. It's not for the person sitting next to you. It's for you. It's not for your spouse, or your friends, or your coworkers. No, this is about you making you unoffendable. There's this well-known teaching of Jesus, a simple thing that he says. It's profound and yet simple. Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mountain, it says, don't try and take the speck out of your brother's eye before removing the plank from your own eye. Are you familiar with this? Somebody familiar with this teaching? This whole concept that we're prone to want. We want to correct other people. Let me take the speck out of your eye. Meanwhile, we have got a big old wooden board in our own eye. Jesus says, first, take the speck out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye, sister's eye. So this is about you, all right? So I want you to take this personally. How can you become unoffendable? There is a bit of a story behind why we are doing this series, and it all goes back to the dark days of the pandemic. At the height of the pandemic, there was a whole lot of outrage going on, and I know we're all in a celebratory mood, and we don't want to think about those times, but i got to take you there for just a little bit. Uh, a lot of people were outraged. A lot of people were offended over a lot of things. We were angry about uh, government restrictions. We were angry about gathering policies. We were angry about mask policies, and during those dark days of the pandemic, I ended up offending a lot of people. I ended up offending and angering a lot of members of our church because of the decisions that I needed to make. Now, for the record, the, um, the offense that I caused and the amount of complaints and the angry emails that I received, um, just for the record, what I experienced is nothing compared to what others experienced, right? The outrage that, that I had to deal with is nothing compared to what others had to deal with. And I'm specifically thinking about our teachers and school administrators. I mean, they got such a hard time during the pandemic. Everybody was angry. Why are we doing these Zoom classes and we gotta get our kids there and what are you doing about masks and all that? Like, just, they got it, right? And we lost a lot of good teachers and administrators during that time, and I, I don't blame them for walking away, all right? So all things considered, what I had to deal with, the kind of offense that I had to you know, take on and the outrage that I had to endure is nothing compared to what others had to deal with. But I did have to deal with complaints and criticism and people being quite angry with me. When we closed our doors, the pandemic started, we closed our doors, we weren't supposed to gather. I had people, members of our own congregation, express their disappointment to me, express their anger with me some cases, outrage over that decision. I mean, we're supposed to be a church, and we're going to let the government shut us down, and we got to gather, and we got to meet. No matter what else is going on, we're not afraid to be sick, and we're going to get... Wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we don't know what's going on. It was a pandemic. It's nothing to do with what with, with the government says. It has everything to do with trying to figure out, well, what's, what's the wise thing to do in this situation? So I had to deal with people who were angry with me, offended that we would close our doors, and then we reopened our doors, and that caused offense for other people, Right? What are you doing opening your doors? There's a virus out there, and you're gonna, people are going to get sick, and why are you doing this? And you shouldn't be encouraging people to gather. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't, you don't have to gather. 
What are you angry at me for? You don't have to gather if you don't want to. No one's forcing, no one's forcing you. No one's forcing you to gather here. People took offense over our mask policy or lack thereof. Do you remember our mask policy? It was, we ask you to wear a mask, but if you don't want to, we're not going to force you. That's what it was. It was a request, not a requirement. And some people got angry and offended by that. Are you kidding me? Are you seriously angry over that? You can't ask me to wear a mask. No good. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to you. I'm going to go to a different church where they're not going to ask me to wear a mask. Oh, okay. Well, no one's forcing you. It's just a, it's just a request. Please relax. And other people were offended in the other direction. You're not going to force people to wear masks. There's a virus going on. You have to force them to wear a mask. And you have to do an attendance thing where people sign up in advance. We don't have too many people in the space. What are you doing? Whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on? Like these decisions, these very difficult decisions that needed to be made, they caused, caused a lot of anger, a lot of offense. People were offended, have been offended, over my stance on the vaccine. Do you know my stance on the vaccine? Oh, you want to know it? My stance is talk to your health care provider, okay? <laughs> right? I studied theology, not virology, not biology. Don't ask me, right? You go ahead and figure it out. Talk to your health care provider. Make a decision that works best for you and your family. That's my controversial stance on the vaccine. How does that anger anybody? No, you should be telling people they need to get it, or you should be warning people not to. Really? That's my role? And so we're going through, and like, what is going on here? Like an unprecedented amount of anger and outrage and offense and complaints. And I'm wondering to myself, why are these people, specifically Christians, specifically members of my own church, specifically people that I have supported and ministered to, why are they so easily offended by all this pandemic-related stuff? And so I was feeling like, I need to address this issue. I need to talk about this. Now, about that same time, uh, Jeff Schmidt is back with the kids now, the director of our men's ministry. He had told me about this book, Unoffendable. And I had borrowed this book from him, and I'm reading this book, and I'm thinking, wow, this is it. This is the solution. I need to stand up on a stage, and I need to tell these people to stop being so easily offended. Don't let this stuff get to you. And so I'm reading this book, and I'm preparing this series, and I can't wait. I can't wait to share this with other people. And as I'm getting to the end of the book, I realize, well, hang on, hang on, slow down. I am a part of the problem, because here I am getting all offended. <laughs> and I don't know if this counts as irony or, or how this works, but I was offended over other people's being offended with me, right? You know what I mean? It's like kind of this rage cycle that goes on, right? You're angry at me, and then I'm angry at you for being angry at me. Like, what's going, what's going on here? And so I did not share this content with you at that time because I needed to do some work, and I needed to try to pull the plank out of my own eye before attempting to help you remove the speck from yours. And truth be told, that's a big reason behind why I had to take a sabbatical in 2021. I need to work on this very issue. <laughs> that was my daughter said, oh? <laughs> I had to work on this very issue. I can't let myself become easily angered 
easily offended, especially not by the people of my own congregation that I'm called to love and support and minister to. I have to work, work on that. And don't get me wrong, it's not like I've figured it all out. I'm still working on it. We're all still working on it. But that's a big reason behind why. Why I had to take that sabbatical. So much of this, so much of this getting offended business, so much of it has to do with the expectations that we put on other people. And when people fail to live up to our expectations, we get offended. When people act in a way that we're not expecting, or we want them to behave a certain way, and then they don't act that way, we get angry. We get offended. So much of it has to do with just having those expectations and then watching people, wait a minute, you shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't respond that way. And when people fail us, fail to live up to those expectations, we get angry at them. We are shocked. How could you not live up to my expectations? How could you do something bad when I want you to do something good? How can you be bad when I want you to be good, right? We get shocked by that. But for those of us who are Christians, here's the thing. For those of us who are Christians, let's consider the central doctrine of Christianity. It all revolves around the gospel, that God sent his one and only son into this world to die on a cross for our sins so that in him we could receive forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. And why did Father God need to sacrifice his one and only son? Because we, humankind, we are incapable of saving ourselves because we, humankind, we are not basically good. And this might be new information to you, but if you spend enough time in the Bible, like this is stuff that, that really we should know. If we've read the Bible, we should know this. We are not basically good. And so why do we get shocked when people don't act good? We know this. We believe it. It's central to our understanding of human nature is that people aren't good. We're capable of good, but in our nature, we are not, we are not good. John 2, 23 through 25, you've got this, this passage in your bulletin. And John gives us this, it's kind of a, a side point that John is making, but Jesus is in the midst of performing these miracles, and people see him, they're like, you know what? This guy is it. This guy is at least a prophet. He might even be the Messiah. And they want to take him, and they want to make him king, and they want to say, listen, we can vouch for this guy. He's the real deal. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't need you to vouch for me. I don't need your testimony. I know what you people are like. <laughs> he knows. Jesus, he knows why he's here on earth. He's here to save us because he knows what we are like. We are flawed. We are self-centered if left to our own devices. We are greedy if left to our own devices apart from divine intervention. We're prone to anger. We're prone to jealousy. Jesus knows these things about human nature. If you want to know what people are like, read Genesis 2 through 4, a few chapters. Two through, in fact, chapter 4, focus on that. Pair of brothers, Cain and Abel. You know about Cain and Abel? Did you ever hear this story about Cain and Abel? Pair of brothers, Cain and Abel. They bring their sacrifices before God. Abel brings a nice big old fat portion from the first fruits. Or Abel brings that, and then Cain brings just some, some to God. God favors Abel's sacrifice over Cain's sacrifice, and Cain gets upset over that. And God tells Cain, there's a simple solution here, buddy. 
Instead of giving all offended and all angry and all worked up, all you have to do is bring a better sacrifice next time. That's all you have to do. And so you know what Cain does? Well, he kills his brother. This is what people are like. If left to our own devices, if following our own inclination, apart from divine intervention, this is what people are like. Isaiah 64 tells us that our good deeds, the good that we're capable of, our good deeds are like filthy rags compared to the goodness and the glory of God. Are we all feeling good about ourselves? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. This is who we are. This is who we are. Mark 10, Jesus says, and this is like one of these statements of Jesus that if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. Mark 10, Jesus says, no one is good. Right? Maybe not the most popular teaching of Jesus. Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. Romans 3, 10 through 11, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How about that? Now, I've talked to you about this whole thing, this myth of righteous anger. If you go to the Bible trying to find, like, let me see if I can find some verses about how it's good to be angry. You're not going to find that. But if you go into the Bible and try to find, let me find some passages that speak to the depravity of mankind. You'll find plenty there. Believe me, right? Sounds like a fun thing to do with your Sunday afternoon. Let me do a study on the depravity of humankind. But you'll find it. Because we are not, despite what we want to believe about ourselves, we are not basically good. Going back to Isaiah, this prophecy that God gives Isaiah about the coming Messiah, about Jesus. And Isaiah says, we all, and perhaps this is the best way to put it, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God has laid on Jesus the sin, the iniquity of us all. We are not basically good. So, the question is, why are we surprised when humans act like humans? Why do we allow that to shock us? Why are we surprised why do we expect people to be good when the clear teaching of Scripture tells us that we are not basically good? And now here's the thing. You could say, well, you know, we can put different expectations on different people. You can categorize people into two groups because people love that, right? We love to be put into categories, don't we? Yes. And so you can say, well, we've got people who aren't Christians and people who are Christians. And when it comes to people who aren't Christians, well, we really can't expect people who are not Christians to act like Christians, right? We really can't. That's not a fair expectation at all. Why would I expect someone who's not a Christian to act like one? But what about these people over here who are Christians? Can't I expect people who are Christians to act like Christians? Well, sure, but there's at least a couple variables to consider. One is you know, maturity. How long has the person been a Christian? Are they in the Word of God? Are they practicing the disciplines? The other variable to consider is that Christian person is still a person. You don't graduate from Christianity. You don't become perfect until you leave this earth and enter into heaven. You don't get your black belt in Christianity until you get to heaven. So we're all still works in progress. Why do we expect people? We, know, this is, we believe this. Okay, people are not basically good. We know this. We believe it. Then why do we expect people to act like they are good? There's this uh, phenomenon and and Hanson, he briefly touches on this in his book, but I, I 
found this interesting. He talks about this phenomenon of church hopping. You know, Christians hop from one church to the other. Well, there's some stat, I forget what it is. Maybe it's about six, seven, eight churches that a Christian will hop through until they find their, their one church where they belong, which is kind of shocking. Like, six, seven, eight churches, that's a lot. Anyway, but he talks about this phenomenon where a person will enter a new church and they'll just love it. They'll get all excited about it. Oh, look at the people here and the outpouring of love and the support. And oh my goodness, this is just like Acts chapter 2. And we're loving on one another. And it's fantastic. And I'm in a small group. And I'm getting to know people. And I'm having a great time. I can't believe how wonderful this church is compared to my last church. Those people, oh my goodness. But this church is wonderful. Until they find out that the people in that church are humans. Oh. You get to know them, and somebody says something that triggers offense, or somebody says something that's not very Christian-like, or somebody does something that's not very Christian-like, whoa, okay, I'm out of here. And they go to the next church, and wow, look at this church, and the people are great, and they're so supportive in the community, it's wow, it's wonderful. And you're in that honeymoon phase of church life, yes? The honeymoon phase of church life, this is great, until people act like people. I can't believe this Christian person did something that was selfish, I can't believe this Christian person said something that was mean. I can't believe this Christian person posted that kind of thing online. I'm out of here. And the cycle continues. Some of you in this very room have made your way through the honeymoon phase of church life, and you're still here. Thank you. Some of you are still in that honeymoon phase, so let me warn you, we are human, all right? And eventually, you give us enough time, we'll show you just how human we are. None of us are perfect. We are all works in progress. You already know this. So let me ask you, okay, because this is about you, let me ask you, are you shocked when people act like people? Are you shocked when people act like people? Anybody ever watch, uh, back in the day, the Three Stooges? Like, it's before my time, by the way. Three, okay, one person. All right, so I'm just going to talk to you about this one, all right? <laughs> so you remember in the Three Stooges, sometimes there'd be the rich old lady with the pearls, okay? And the Three Stooges would do something outrageous, and the rich old lady would clutch her pearls and, oh, about to pass out because they've done something outrageous, yes? Do you do that? Do you clutch your pearls like an old lady and pass, oh, I can't believe someone did this or said this. Oh, do you find yourself shocked? When people act like people, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Let me ask you this question. Are the expectations that you have put on other people fair? Are they fair expectations? Now, whether that person is a Christian or not, do you put fair expectations on other people? The expectations that you have put on your employer, your employees, your coworkers, the people you interact with online, your neighbors, your fellow church members, your church leaders, your pastor, your children, your family members, your brothers, your sisters, parents, everybody, grandparents, are the expectations you have put on other people, are they fair? Or are you shocked when people act like people? It's a wonderful point Hanson makes in his book, basically telling us that we shouldn't, listen, you know this, we shouldn't be shocked when people act like people. We should be shocked when they don't. We should be shocked and surprised 
when they don't. When you see somebody who's being self-centered or driven by greed or driven by lust or driven by something bad, yes? When you see somebody who's being greedy or selfish or, or envious or angry or whatever it is, that shouldn't shock us because that's what people are like. But when we see someone who's being not that, when we see someone who's being selfless, when we witness someone who's being generous, when we witness someone who's being humble, when we witness these things, these things should shock us because this is not how people act. We shouldn't be surprised when people act like people. We should be surprised when they don't. That's the kind of thing we should observe and celebrate. That's the type of thing that should shock us. So what we need to do is reorient our shock, where we put our shock. We shouldn't be shocked when people act like people. We should be shocked when they don't, when we see these acts of selflessness, of generosity, of love, support, caring, and sacrifice, these are the things that should pleasantly shock us, pleasantly surprise us. And if we want to become unoffendable, we need to change our expectations. Let me put it simply. Let's not expect people to act like Jesus. Let's be pleasantly surprised when they do. We pray on that. Jesus, you know us. You know what we're like. You know our weakness. You know that we are prone to self-centeredness. We are prone to envy and anger and, and all these ugly things. Just the ugliness of the human condition. Jesus, you know it. And so many of us in this room, we want to be better. We want to be like you. We want to be conformed into your image. We want to be transformed. But none of us are perfect, and we're all, we're all works in progress. And so, Father God, allow us to be gracious and compassionate. Allow us to have fair expectations for ourselves and fair expectations for others. And don't let us fall into this trap of being shocked and offended when people act like people. Instead, God, give us eyes to see when people act like you, Jesus. And when we witness people acting like you, let that be something that we, we treasure and celebrate. We pray this in your name. Amen.